Amen. You may all grab your seats. Uh, welcome, everyone, once again to Mosaic. I'm so glad to see all of you. We have some new faces here in the sanctuary, some people who Uh, Palm Sunday for us at Mosaic always marks the beginning of our week of consecration. Uh, it's called Holy Week. Holy, consecrated means very similar things. It means to be set apart uh, for the special use and de dedication and devotion to God. And so today uh, we begin our Holy Week, and starting tomorrow we're going to be gathering together for our week of consecration, 8 p.m., Every night this week, we're going to gather, pray together, reflect, and ready our hearts for Good Friday and Easter, the biggest day of the year. So I want to invite you into that. And not only that, today we're closing out the book of Revelation, uh, which we've been in for about three months, but um, not just closing out Revelation, we're also closing out seven months of being in apocalyptic together, um, as we for seven months have been through Daniel and Revelation all together. And so today is kind of the culmination of a lot of things. Both of these books that we've read have been written to people who have been going through a lot of suffering, persecution, hardship, and both of these books have had very similar messages, which was to persevere, take heart. Because even though everything that you see in your life right now is difficult and you are being pressed, that's not going to be the end of your story. The end of your story is going to be very different. You're going to go to a glorious end. And that's the message of both Daniel and Revelation. And although both books were fiery books, and they had to be fiery books because the people who were receiving it were living in the fire, they had visions of amazing hope. That no matter what fire you're in, no matter what beasts you see in your life, uh, we need to persevere because our glorious end is in Jesus Christ. Last week, we started the end by looking at the wedding, which is at the end of the book of Revelation. And today, we're going to bring it all to a close. And I'm going to ask you today to stay sharp with me because there's a lot of different pictures that mix together. There's a lot of different things that all come together. I don't know how many of you are musical fans, if you like to go see musicals or hear musicals, but you know, if you are a fan of musicals, that there are all these songs that they throw at you in the musical, and you kind of have to pay attention because at the end, what always happens with musicals is they blend all these songs together um, in beautiful harmony and melody into a song that different songs are taken from and they all create one big song at the end. You know, the Bible is like that. Throughout the Bible, the Bible has been singing songs, singing songs about a lion and a lamb, singing songs about a temple and a home, a city and a bride. All these different songs have been, uh, been sung throughout the Bible, and as we come to the end of the Bible here, all those songs are going to mix together. Many, many themes are going to mix together. And so you're going to have to stay sharp with me because there are a couple of different pictures that you're going to have to keep in your mind. Today, we're going to look at two of these themes. There are so many, but we're just going to look at two of these themes that are going to mix together to bring us the end of Revelation, and it's the theme of a wedding, but also a theme of a city, okay? Uh, a theme of a wedding, a bride, but also the idea of home. Uh, city and home, wedding and bride. These two things are going to come together, and we're going to look at it together. And when we do that, we see just how complete this picture is, that God is going to bring us to a glorious end. And so there, here are the three points that we're going to be looking at as we close out the book of Revelation. The first thing is you see the former things passed away. 
You see the former things passed away. Secondly, you see new things arrive. And then finally, you see us coming home. You see us coming home. This idea of home in God at the end. We're going to look at all these things, and it's going to show us everything that God has in store for us, in particular, has in store for our people who are suffering and having a really hard time in life. I hope it touches you. I hope it reaches you. I hope God speaks to you. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I can't do this. It's just too much, too many pictures, too much complexity, so much depth, so much blessing. I can't give this sermon without your Holy Spirit. And they cannot receive it without your spirit coming. We just want to confess that to you. These are things too glorious for us. These are things too big for us. Hard to imagine living in this world. So, Father, send us your spirit. Send us the spirit who speaks the depths of God into the shallow hearts of man. Father, we invite you because we need you pretty urgently right now. When you send your spirit so that this word becomes life to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see is the former things passed away. Let me read to you guys Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. This is what it says here. Second to last chapter of the Bible, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, many of us get emotional at weddings. I don't know how many of you actually get emotional at weddings, but many of us, we get emotional not because of the couple. We don't get emotional because, oh, it's beautiful love. Many of us get emotional at weddings because of the parents. That moment when the couple goes and hugs the parents, or that moment where the son dances with his mother or the, um, the bride dances with her father. For some reason, those are the moments that really grip us, right? Those are the moments that make us look away and try not to ruin our makeup because we're about to cry at this wedding. We are really emotional about these moments, and especially if the family has gone through difficulty and suffering and hardship, if we know that they've been through tremendous financial hardship, if they had a really hard immigration story, if we know that the mother struggled uh, with a health issue, and we know that the father struggled, or the father is walking down the bride in a wheelchair down the aisle, or we know that the family has been ravaged by different things that has come into their life that has caused suffering, we get even more emotional at these moments in weddings. Why? Because there's something about a wedding that makes it seem like a happy ending. That finally all the things that this family has suffered is coming to a beautiful culmination, a beautiful end. You see, the bride is there in her beautiful gown. The man is there in his tuxedo. And it seems like this family that has gone through so much gets to have a happy ending. 
We get a sense of that at weddings, and that's why many of us get emotional at those moments, because we want a happy ending for those who have suffered so much. When you look in Revelation, there's a strange picture of a wedding. Last time we saw the wedding and how we get ready for this wedding, but one of the strange things that you see is that the bride is adorned for her husband. The church is ready and ready to meet her husband and adorned and beautified and perfect, but she's crying. Isn't that weird? The bride is beautiful and prepared and adorned, but the bride in Revelation, she's crying. When you read the picture, that's what you get. And it's a strange picture, but it's such an accurate picture of the church. Because what you see here is that the church on earth has had a very, very tough time. That the the church, the Christians, the people of God have been through a lot of suffering, and they've seen things, and they've done things themselves, and things have been done to them. And because of all that, the bride comes to the altar crying, not just because she's emotional, but the bride of Christ is crying because she's been through a lot. And she's carrying the sufferings of earth to the altar. And the picture here is that the bride walks up to the altar And the husband, Jesus Christ himself, with his big hands of love, wipes away the tears from the eyes of the bride. He wipes away the losses we've experienced, the children who died too fast, wipes away the heartbreak of trying to be strong in this life for somebody else, all the things that we've experienced in our personal lives that cause tears, and we bring them to the altar, and the picture is that I promise I will wipe them away. But it's not just the things that happen in our lives. It's also a picture of the bigger things in our world, the broken world that we've lived in, the broken world that's going to finally come to an end. The former things will pass. The poverty that God's people have experienced and the powerlessness they've had to live in. Aren't you excited that one day the church that was starving and poor in various areas of the world and even the United States that one day God will wipe away their poverty. God will wipe away their powerlessness. God will wipe away racism. God will wipe away injustice. God will wipe away all these things, our failures, our regrets, our pains that we're experiencing, and one day he's going to say to us, no more. Stop crying. No more crying. I know you've been through a lot. I know you've seen a lot. I know you failed a lot, but no more. You're married to me now, and now there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, and there's no more failure, no more crying, because now you dwell with me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, in the midst of COVID-19, many of you have experienced just immense difficulty in your life and family. And sometimes as a pastor, because I know of many of the things that our people have gone through, sometimes I wish I could do what Jesus is saying that he promises he will do. Sometimes as a pastor, I wish I could wipe away the tears. But I can't because I'm just a person like the rest of you. And the thing that he's promising here is not to make you forget what you've been through, but that he promises that he will redeem 
what you've been through. You know what that means? That means that you're not just going to forget it happened, but that it will make sense somehow. How is he going to make sense of it? I have no idea. I have no idea how he's going to make sense of a lot of the senseless evil that we experience in our world. But he promises he will make sense of it. When he says he will wipe away the tears, it doesn't mean he's going to make you forget. He's going to make it all make sense. And you will see why it was better that these things happened. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mosaic, as you think about that, what should that do to you now? As you know that that's your future, should that not remind you that everything that you're experiencing now, it is temporary and that it is for your good. It is temporary and it is for your good. What you are experiencing right now, it's not your destiny. The difficulty that you're experiencing right now, it is not your future. Your future is walking to the altar with a husband who's able to redeem all the suffering that you experience. The former things will pass away. The former things will pass away. But not only will the former things pass away, he promises that he's going to bring new things. He's going to bring new things. This is uh, what's really exciting about the end of Revelation. And this is where, you got to stay sharp with me now, this is where you have to start being okay with the mixing of metaphors. Okay? Because not only are we a bride who's walking to a husband, but we're also a bride who is a city. A new city. Read with me 9 to 10 of uh, Revelation 21. This is what it says. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. Remember, he said, I'll show you the bride. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He's starting to mix metaphors. He says, come, I'll show you the bride. And then he shows me a city. What does that mean? Here is another theme, a song that was in the Bible that's coming to its conclusion here. Jerusalem, what was it? Jerusalem was the holy city of God. But it wasn't special. It wasn't the holy city of God because it was the most beautiful city. It wasn't the holy city of God because it was the most powerful city, most resourceful city, the smartest city, the most intellectual city. It was none of those things. It was not special in and of itself. But it was the holy city of God because that's the city where God said, I'll dwell here. My spirit shall dwell here. And then all of a sudden, it became the most special city in the world. That's the holy city of God, it says. The holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And that's what happened to you. You were not chosen and saved because you were the most resourceful, beautiful, good, or great. You were merely chosen out of his grace that he said, my spirit shall be with this person. My spirit shall be with him, with her. And even though he is a jar of clay, she will become a treasure in this world. The holy city of God, which is his people, you see, his people, that's what you see coming down out of heaven. You're not just a bride who is loved, but you are also a city restored. Because here's the reality, even though, the holy, even though Jerusalem was supposed to be this holy city, this amazing city, in real life, it was not. 
in real life, even though the Jerusalem was supposed to be this holy city, amazing and glorious, it was attacked, corrupt, nasty, sinful, ravaged. It was not this, the vision that you get that God had for Jerusalem. What Jerusalem turned out to be was a grave disappointment because of the sin inside and the attacks from outside of the city. That's Jerusalem. If you ever really saw the dirtiness of Jerusalem, you saw how messed up it was, how marred it was, how corrupt it was. In fact, when Jesus came in Matthew 23, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he looked at Jerusalem and he didn't say, oh, my precious bride. You know what he did? He cried. He lamented. So sad when he saw Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, verse 37, this is what Jesus says. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I, have, I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing and see your house is left to you desolate. Uh, when storms come, farm animals, I don't know how, but farm animals seem to know a storm is coming. And uh, when uh, farm animals know that the storm is coming, they get ready and often what chickens do, especially hens, is they grab their little chicks and they stick them underneath their bellies and they cover them with their wings like this to protect them from the storm. Jesus says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I could do that for you. How I wish I could protect you and how I wish I could keep you from sin and I could keep you from destruction, but you just wouldn't come. And Jesus laments when he looks at Jerusalem. I kind of picture it as a, as a mother who laments at her son who fell into life in the streets and fell into drugs and fell into the gangs It ended up getting shot on a street corner. And I picture Jesus like this mother who's holding a picture of her boy when he was a baby, saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how could this happen to you? How did you mess up so badly? You were such a beautiful little boy. I had such high hopes for you. How did you let your life get this way? Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish that I could just like tuck you underneath my wings like a chicken does her chicks. But every time I called out, you refused to come. That's Jerusalem. That's us. Isn't that so much like us? We were supposed to be this special people, holy, consecrated, glorious, salt and light of the world, Jesus says. But then look at our lives. We don't live that way. We're corrupted. Our sin enslaves us. But my brothers and sisters, I have good news for you. When you look at Revelation, it tells you that even though you might feel like dirty Jerusalem today, your destiny is that he has a plan to make you a restored city when you finally see him face to face. When you see him face to face, he will restore you. That's the message that he's giving you through Revelation. Read Revelation 21, verses 9 to 13 with me. This is what it says. Look at the picture of how he sees you. Okay? 
Actually, let me start at uh, verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. Now, I'm not going to read the whole description. One of these days, you should really read the whole description. But in the description, there are all these, these words about walls, gates, and you're wondering, why is he talking about architecture so much? Like, what does it matter what the gates look like, how many doors, how many walls? But don't lose the message of what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to build you back up to be fortified. You're not going to be a messed up city anymore. You're not going to be corrupt and attacked from the evil one. These things aren't going to happen to you anymore. I'm going to build you back up. The woman, the mother who was crying over her baby pictures of her son, she's going to get her son back. And the streets will not take him this time because Jesus will build him up into a city that could not be ravaged. You see, at the end of Revelation, what you're getting from God and you could tell he's trying to give you this picture, right? You could tell he's trying, but we don't really understand. <laughs> he's really trying to show you, you, in the resurrection. But we're a little bit hard-headed. And we're like, I don't get it. What is that? What is the wall? What is the jewel? But can you feel his heart trying to give you a hope that is in the resurrection? Can you feel it, at least a little bit? What he's telling you is that you might feel like a broken Jerusalem, an ugly bride now, but I promise you, I'm going to give you a new beginning. I promise that the reason that Jesus died is not so that you can escape hell. That's not the whole story. Don't you see why Jesus died on Good Friday? It's so that he could rise on Easter Sunday so that you could be the bride of Christ, the rebuilt Jerusalem. This is the promise that he's trying to extend to you. Won't you feel a little bit of it? He's saying you're going to have a new beginning, and you'll finally be who you're supposed to be. How do you apply that to your life now? Mosaic, won't you meditate on that? Today, I don't want to spoon-feed you specific applications. Because I think this text is so rich that there are applications that you need to make for yourself from the vision of the New Jerusalem, the vision of the bride. Today, I, I won't spoon feed you applications. Won't you meditate on this and see in what areas of your life God is giving you this picture to restore, to give hope, and to give strength. He built this amazing picture in Revelation for you. Won't you at least try to bring it into your life now? What does he want this hope to confront in what's going on in your life right now? What are you sad about? What are the tears that you need wiped away? What are the tears that you, you fear will never be wiped away? What are the things that you need to have hope in? The things that make you cringe because you think about your past and you think, oh, I can't believe I did that the things that he will wipe away, and the things that he will restore. If you're taking notes, write it down. What are the things that I need to apply this to 
because that's why he gave it to me today. He promises you that you will be a bride beloved, that he will wipe away every tear, and that he will rebuild you into a city with walls, and you won't fall again. But the last thing he says is not only are you a bride, not only is the bride a city, but the husband is not just the husband, the husband is your home. I told you you have to stay with me, right? I told you you have to stay sharp. Not only is the bride a city, but the husband is a home. Let's read verse 3 in Revelation 21 together. This will be our last point. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the home, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He has this promise. You're finally going to come home because I am your home. Because I am your home. The, the last chapter um, of Revelation is a little bit tricky because there's this picture that he gives in Revelation 22 of what it feels like to be home. And uh, some people read the Bible, especially Revelation, and think, oh, that's what it's going to look like. That's not necessarily true. When you read apocalyptic and you're thinking that what you read is what it looks like, you're going to be super confused. It has a head of a lion. And it's like, that's not what he's, he's not saying that's what it looks like, right? He's saying that's what it feels like. Even the description of Jesus Christ at the beginning of Revelation, right? His feet were of bronze. His eyes were of fire. He's not giving you what Jesus looks like, right? He's giving you what it feels like to meet Jesus. And here, he's not telling you what your future home is going to look like. He's telling you what your future home is going to feel like. And so understanding that, read Revelation 22 with me. This is what he's saying. This is what your home is going to feel like. Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be on it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, a light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Last week, we took a week off from Revelation to address um, the hate against Asian Americans. And what we saw is that when sin entered into the world, there was a river that flowed into the world of evil. God said, Adam, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. But then what happened? They didn't die. They just kept living, even though they did exactly what God told them not to do. And he said, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. And then they didn't die. But what we saw was that it was going to be much worse than two people dying in a garden. Instead of two people dying in a garden, which would be sad, but not, you know, what we have today. Instead of that, you have 
death flowing into the world, into every part of our life, where it was such a worse death than Adam and Eve just dying in the garden. What you see is evil and corruption go into the world, and so now everything is touched by death. And yes, there are terrible things like COVID and cancer. There are terrible things like injustice in this world and sexism and abuse and separation of men and women and sin and failure, hatred, murder, lying, all these things come into the world. But you know what else happens as evil flows into the world and sin and death go all over the world and in our lives? Is even the good things are always touched by sin and death. Even the best things about life are touched by an element of death in our life. And even the best things in your life always feel like something's missing. Have you guys ever fought on your honeymoon? Is there, not, is there anything more illustrative of, of this than that? That this couple who had this amazing wedding and a celebration and then they fight on their honeymoon? What is that? That's a touch of death. Even in the best things of life, you feel it. In the promotion that you finally got, don't you feel empty? The thing that you finally thought was going to satisfy you, it didn't satisfy? You see, the brokenness of this world is not just the worst stuff happening to you, but it's even embedded in the best of things, that even the best of things are ruined by sin and death. But what do you see in Revelation 22? Let me read it again, verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God to the Lamb. Here is the very opposite of Genesis 3. Instead of death and sin and lying and murder flowing into every area of our life, ruining the best things, the reverse is happening in Revelation 22. Life now flows into all aspects of the world, where satisfaction now, you can't escape joy and satisfaction. You can't get away from it. God and life that comes from knowing God and the joy of his existence and the power of his peace now intervenes and infiltrates everything. So now there is peace and joy in everything, and you can't get away from it. The feeling of satisfaction, home everywhere and in everything. That's what home is. It's not just our husband who loves us, but finally we get home, satisfaction, what we've been looking for our whole lives. I kind of picture it as the feeling, if you've ever been hiking and maybe you didn't bring enough water, going hiking, and it's like a three-hour hike, but you only brought like an hour's worth of water, and you did the last two hours without water, and you're so parched. And by the time you get to your car where that extra bottle of water is, and you finally get in your car after two hours of being thirsty, and you take that first gulp of water, and what do you notice that you don't notice other times that you drink water? Whoa, water is sweet. Have you ever had that feeling? Like, whoa, water is sweet. And that feeling of satisfaction in that first gulp of water, it says that the river of life flows into all parts of our life in the new heavens and the new earth. 
You can't escape that feeling of that first gulp. You can't find a corner of the new heavens and the new earth where you don't feel that satisfaction. It's inescapable peace, inescapable joy, inescapable fulfillment in every part of life. The river flowed in the new heavens and the new earth. Satisfaction. What you have been looking for in this world that you couldn't find, you can't escape it in the new heavens and the new earth. That's his promise to you at the end of the Bible. Everything that you've experienced, that relationship that you thought was going to be that gulp of water, and it turned into deep bitterness for you. Having that child that you thought would be that first gulp of water finally fulfilled, and the child never came. The satisfaction that we have been so thirsty for our entire lives, but we never really got here, no matter how much we tried, he's saying that a river is going to flow. You'll never be able to get away from it. That is your future. Before I close, I want to show you one picture of a woman who actually experienced this. Um, the question that we should be asking today, you know, Revelation and Daniel were written to you not so that you could just wait until it comes. But Revelation and Daniel were written to a people who were suffering so that you can begin to siphon that feeling now. And so the question is, that's great, Dave, that there's going to be all this satisfaction in the new heavens and the new earth, but how does that help me today? There was a woman that Jesus met at a well uh, who felt the same thing. She experienced very similar things. It's a picture of a woman who was waiting on this wedding, and she desperately needed the satisfaction of the heavens and the new earth in her life then. In John 4, you go and meet this woman, and she's lived a shameful life, and she did things in her former life, the former things that made her shameful now. She went from man to man looking for home, satisfaction, but it left her completely destroyed. In essence, she was a crying bride. She was a crying bride looking for her husband, and it left her ashamed. And she made a lot of mistakes, of course. She sinned a lot, yeah. But you know what the sad part of it is? That she's not just a sinner, that she's also at the same time a sufferer. She's paying the cost of her own sins. And yeah, she's a sinner, and you could call her a sinner and all that, but she's also a sufferer. She's needy and thirsty. And that's why Jesus, even though he didn't have to go through Samaria, had to go through Samaria. Even though he didn't have to go through Samaria, he had to go through Samaria because she was in deep need of the new heavens and the new earth, river of life. She needed it then, not at the end. She needed it in that moment. And so he goes to Samaria because she desperately needs a drink from the river of life. But he has to invite her in because like Jesus said of Jerusalem, she didn't want to come in. She didn't, like she says, Jerusalem, I wish you guys would just thirst for me because I would so help you. But she didn't thirst for Jesus. She didn't want Jesus. She thought that it was in some other places. And so he goes and he asks her for a drink because he's inviting her in and he says, I ask you for a drink 
And she said, how can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Essentially, she's saying, we're so far apart. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus says, you know, if you knew who I was, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would be asking me for a drink of water. If you just knew who was talking to you. And, he, and you get the sense in the whole conversation that Jesus has this hidden agenda that he desperately wants to give her something that she needs. And then she says, Lord, then how can I find this water? And he looks at her. And I'm sure that in Jesus' mind, as she asks for a drink, he's picturing the river of life in the new heavens and the new earth, clear as crystal, bringing life into every aspect of her life that she deeply needs this life in her world. But she thinks that he's talking about some hole in the ground, that maybe she'll find the satisfaction in some job or some relationship or some new move. He says, no. You see, if you just knew who I was, if you knew who I was, you'd get it. And she says, who are you? And what does he ask back? Go get your husband. This week when I read that, my mind was blown because I saw what he was doing. He was saying, you know who I am? I am your husband. I'm your husband. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting because you're looking for me in all these different places, and you don't even know that you're looking for me. You're looking for satisfaction in all these different places. You're going from guy to guy. You don't even know that you're looking for me, but you're looking for me. If you just knew who I was, and if you were married to me, I would give you everything that you were looking for. I will give you everything that you are thirsty for. If you were in communion with me, if you were in a marriage with me, you would get everything now that you're looking for in your life. Brothers and sisters, he's saying that if you were in communion with me, you would have the water of the river of life in the new heavens and new earth and in that communion with Jesus, he says to her, you could drink it now. You could drink some now. You can have a sip of the new heavens and the new earth now if you were in communion with me because I am your home, I am your husband, and I'm right here. Don't you see, Mosaic? You don't have to wait until Jesus returns. He's saying, I'm here right now, and I wish you would come to me because I could give you a sip a sip of what you've been looking for in all these different areas of your life. Won't you commune with him? Won't you go to him this week? Because he's offering to you what you have been looking for. Let's go to him in prayer together. Won't you take some time to meditate on what he's shown you in Revelation? Some of us were afraid of this book. Some of us were distant from this book. But don't you see now how his heart is exploding to give you something in this book of Revelation? He's crying out to you as your husband. He wants to reclaim his bride. He's got something to say to you, Mosaic, today. Won't you go and commune with him? And won't you hear him out?
Let's spend a moment in prayer before we close. Father, all of us, each of us, we are the woman at the well. And we're suffering and thirsty and looking in all these different places. I guess that's why you gave us the book of Revelation. Because you wanted us to know that you will fight for us. That you will fight for your bride. And that you'll make sure that we wind up home. You'll make sure that we come in full fulfillment at the wedding supper of the Lamb one day you will marry us and you'll give us everything that we have been looking for in this life and you will you promise wipe away every tear that we're carrying around in this world father why you went to such lengths to take care of us so comprehensively so deeply personally we'll never know that's why we say by grace we have been saved by mercy we are loved Father, we pray that you would help us to take in, drink in the book of Revelation and the hope that you give us. And until we see you face to face at that altar, until we see you face to face when we come home, I pray help us to live to love you, live to be in communion with you. I pray that our lives would be drinking in and sipping the river of life until we see you face to face. I pray all we are that we would bless you and know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all rise and respond to the Lord and sing this song together.